0: As we come again to God's Word this morning, I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, and this morning we're going to be looking at verses 14 to 18. Fairly short little passage, but the more we dig in, the deeper it becomes. Isn't that the beauty of Scripture? The more you dig, the more you find. And that's the excitement of it. And so as we come to this passage, let's ask ourselves, Lord... What would you teach me this morning? How must I be changed by your Spirit to live an obedient life before a holy God? Teach me, Lord. So Luke chapter 16, and I'll read from verses 14 to 18. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at Jesus. Jesus said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. But God knows your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery and he who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. Last week we looked at the whole subject from the passage of split level Christianity. When we don't allow our beliefs to influence our practice in our lives and when we have a split allegiance between God and something else. And this week we're going to face a different issue. It is the issue of two-faced Christianity. It is passing yourself off as living a holy life while on the inside you're being the opposite of what you want people to see. And in God's timing He's brought this to us he 's been speaking to me this week. I pray he speaks to every single one here as the Holy Spirit moves you see it's introdu- it 's helpful as we come to this passage just to look at the wider picture because if you just go by the little headings that are generally in our Bibles it 's a bit confusing because we've got this picture we've got the story of the unrighteous steward that Jesus tells, and then we 've got these Pharisees who are spoken about, about the law suddenly and then Jesus speaks about divorce suddenly in the middle of things. Why? And then after that he speaks about Lazarus in hell. Oh sorry, not hell, in heaven. (laughs) right, I got that wrong. The rich man in hell, Lazarus in heaven. So it seems a bit disjointed. Why 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 does the Lord go from one little subject to the other? He actually doesn't. When we see the bigger picture it makes sense. And so Jesus has been telling them this parable of the unrighteous steward, the steward who was very clever with money so that he would feather his own nest on earth. But Jesus brought out there that believers sometimes don't pay the same attention as unbelievers do to feathering their nests. Fe- believers don't pay the same amount of t- attention to feathering their eternal nests, to looking to eternity and to making sure that we are ready for eternity and that we are taking the message of the Gospel to those around us where they will be affected for eternity. While Jesus was telling this parable, of course, he was speaking about the two masters and he said to his disciples, but also to the Pharisees who were standing right there, you can't serve two masters you either serve God fully with your whole life or you serve another. And I'm a jealous God. I don't want idols before me. And so when the Pharisees heard this parable, the text says they were lovers of money. And so what is their reaction to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah? They scoffed at you see, when Jesus told his parable of the shrewd manager, he had touched on a sensitive spot in these Pharisees. They were lovers of money, but they couldn't very well publicly confront Jesus Christ. Why? Because they knew that he would expose them publicly as money grubbers. And they couldn't afford that before the people. And so they scoffed at him. Now, whether that was with their body language, or whether Jesus was just reading their heart. They scoffed at him, unseen by men, but not by Jesus. You see, they'd heard this truth that Jesus had been preaching, but they were rejecting it. In their hearts they were saying, How dare he accuse us of serving two masters? We are the holy men of Israel. Why were they having this reaction? Because they had idols in their hearts. Scripture says they loved money. The King James Version says, they had covetous hearts and when you see the the phrase covetous hearts it always speaks about an idol it is an idol other than god and so you are bowing down to something else and that leads to scoffing the one true god you see you can't worship two masters at the same time you will worship the one and scoff the other one that's what jesus is pointing to in their lives you are lovers of money And that's why you are scoffing me as the Messiah. What was their reasoning? Why were they turning up their noses, which is the literal translation of scoffing, to turn up your nose at? Why were they turning up their noses at this teacher, this one who called himself the Messiah? Well, their reasoning was something like this. Jesus is a poor teacher. And by these poor men following this poor teacher... How can he have the nerve to teach us about money? You see, they had a faulty reasoning in them that because they wore expensive clothes, because they wore expensive rings on their fingers, because they had religious jewellery around their necks, it was a sign of God's blessing on them. You see, they misunderstood the blessing of God's covenant. They assumed that a person's wealth was necessarily a sign of God's blessing on their lives for their righteous conduct. And because Jesus was poor, guess who the ones who are right before God? It's not Him. It's us. Do you see their reasoning? That reasoning is still around today. You switch your televisions on very early on some mornings or very late at night, and you'll come across preachers who preach prosperity gospel, that if you give more and more money, you will be, get more and more from God. It's the same old idol. It's teaching covetousness of a heart, an idol before God. And there are some very well-known names who preach the same thing. I'm not going to mention names in this pulpit, but you look at what they are teaching, and it doesn't matter who it is, they are teaching an untruth. Don't believe people who preach covetousness of the heart. You see, an idol replaces God and with a covetous heart these keepers of the law were breaking the first and the tenth commandments of God's moral law even though they saw themselves as the perfect law keepers. So firstly, they were scoffing at the Lord. Secondly, they had self justification Verse 15, Jesus said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. But God knows your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Rabbi, could you turn that down slightly, my friend? Thanks. They were self-justified. You see, these Pharisees were being shrewd with the law in the same way that the manager had been shrewd with money. They were shrewd with the law. They were trying to portray that they were perfect law keepers and that people were to follow them and follow their examples of piety. But with hard hearts, they were using this this law keeping of theirs to justify their own actions and their own positions as leaders before men. But God says, you haven't fooled me. You might fool men, but I can see your heart, says Jesus. Men might admire your wealth and your religious pretensions, but God detests your pretensions. Now you need to know what that word is. That word detests is a very, very strong word in Scripture. It's the same word as the word abomination. If you've got an older Bible, you'll see the word abomination there. Your pretensions before the Lord are an abomination to Him. It's the same word God uses for pride, for lying, for murder, for evil scheming, for disobedience and for homosexuality. It is an abomination to the Lord. It's from the pits of hell. It deserves hell. I detest it, says the Lord. And so by them pretending to be holy, God says, I can see your heart. It is an abomination to me. These are the leaders of Israel. You see, their hard hearts were blocking them from seeing their need of a Saviour who was standing right in front of them, the Messiah, the one they were scoffing at. Do you see what self-righteousness does? It creates another idol in us, the idol of me, myself and I. That's all it is. It's still idol worship. So whether it's money, Whether it's covetousness or whether it's self-righteousness, it is still idol worship. You see what Jesus is pointing at? And these are the supposed law keepers of the nation. But that's not all they did. It's a short passage, but there's great depth, right? What else does Jesus point to? Verses 16 to 18. He suddenly goes to the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. And since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. So what else were these Pharisees doing? They were twisting the law. They were not just using the law for self-righteous purposes, they were twisting it as well. They were teaching law-keeping to the people. If you want to be right with God, you need to keep the law perfectly, plus all these laws that we will make for you as well. Because they added many, many laws to God's laws. Before we get there, just in brackets, what was the purpose of the law? What was the purpose of the Ten Commandments? Yes, to point out man's sin. It was pointing to a holy God. God gave them the moral law, the Ten Commandments. He said if you keep these, it will point you to a holy God. Because the more you look at these commands, the more you will realize that God is not like this. He wants you to live in this way, but He is the opposite. He is a holy God. When you try and keep these laws, you're going to find you can't keep them. It was pointing to the impossibility of keeping the law perfectly. It was pointing to the need for a Saviour who was going to come who could keep the law perfectly. You see, the law, the moral law, the Ten Commandments and the Gospel are connected. The one points to the other. The moral law was pointing to a Messiah who was needed so that we could keep the law perfectly. But these Pharisees were still preaching law-keeping, that you're to come and bring sacrifices for sin, and that if you wanted to please God, that you're to keep the laws perfectly. Today we call it the gospel of works. And there are many churches today who still preach a gospel of works. Now hear me out. I'm going to speak about the Ten Commandments today. There are many today who say you don't need to keep the Ten Commandments. Well, that's an untruth. We don't need to keep all the other laws that God gave Israel about cleanliness and purification. No, because there's now a much better law at work through Jesus Christ. But He hasn't put aside the Ten Commandments. That's God's moral law. That's what we are to strive to be like. Those are guidelines for us in life that we have to strive to attain through the Holy Spirit and through Jesus Christ. So yes, they are very much still working today. I'll come back to that. But you see, after the Gospel of works had ended, when John the Baptist as the the last Old Testament prophet in the New Testament, stay with me now, John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet in the New Testament. He was the last of the old dispensations. Because when the Messiah came, a new dispensation started. The dispensation of the gospel of grace. That it is through Jesus Christ, it is through putting your faith in the Messiah, that you'll be able to live a perfect life before God. That is the only way. You can't keep the law by yourself. You need Jesus Christ. And so Malachi might have been the last Old Testament book but the Old Testament kind of carried on into the New Testament for a short while until Jesus Christ started his ministry as Messiah. So don't get confused there. And so Jesus brings up the law and the prophets. He says they were proclaimed until John, but since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing his way in. You see, grace has come through Jesus Christ that God's moral law remains unchanged. Jesus made it very clear that he did not come to destroy the law but to fulfil it. You just need to turn to Matthew 5.17 that's what he says. I didn't come to destroy the law, the moral law. I'm not doing away with it. I've come to live it perfectly because you keep it imperfectly." And so what Jesus was fulfilling by his coming right in front of these Pharisees, they were corrupting at the very same time. The law that he was striving, the law that he was keeping perfectly, they were corrupting constantly. But they were hiding it from the people. And so by preaching law-keeping to the people as a means to be right with God, these Pharisees were attempting to force their way into the kingdom by circumventing the law. Now, you need to stay with me here because there's good wordplay Jesus uses here. When he uses that phrase, everyone is forcing his way into it. You see, these Pharisees were trying to force their way into the kingdom by trying to keep this law in front of people perfectly. Behind the scenes, it was a different matter, though. And that's not all. They interpreted the law in various ways as well. And so, in the end, they ended up with many many extra laws that these people now had to keep. And Jesus says, "No, that's not what it's about. You're misrepresenting God's law. You're changing the law that is unchangeable," says Jesus. Not one stroke of one letter of the law will fail. And when he speaks about that he's saying one not one tittle which is the smallest little stroke I've got a little picture there for you just carry on down another one alright do you see do you see the little stroke which is different he says not one little stroke on one letter of the law will fail God will bring his whole moral law to perfection through his son and in you and I too by the way one day when he makes us perfect are you looking forward to that it will not fail why why Because God doesn't fail. God is the unchangeable one, Malachi 3 verse 6. His requirements don't change. His holiness doesn't change. His message hasn't changed. And so the moral law points at a better way through a perfect Messiah. You see, what is Jesus pointing at here? These Pharisees, by changing the law and preaching law-keeping... They had a low view of God in actual They might have said that we need to be holy before God, but by their very lives, by their conduct, they had a low view of God. They had a low view of the Messiah. They had a low view of God's word given to them. You and I are in danger of having the same today. In our very own Baptist union, that's what's happening. That's why we're having a debate about same-sex marriage. It's because we've got a low view of God. We've got a low view of His Word to us. It's not up there. We don't see a holy God who can't endure these things before Him. And so we debate it. But we have to stand as well as believers. And that's why we are going to have to this conference with our leadership as well. The other thing the Pharisees were doing, they weren't just preaching law-keeping, but they were forcing new meanings on the law. They were saying what suited them through the law. And so they came up with the Talmud, which were their interpretations or their opinions of Old Testament Torah. They came up with a Mishnah, which was the oral Torah, the spoken words. These were interpretations by the rabbis, and they formed the central text of Judaism. And it still forms the central text of Judaism today. There's some funny things contained here and I want to share them a little bit with you, just one or two. It's not a comedy show. First one is this. Should one tell white lies or not? Now, what does God say in His moral law? Thou shalt not lie. It's fairly straightforward. So they started talking about white lies. Here's an instance of a white lie. Should one tell an ugly bride that she's beautiful? This is what was contained in the Talmud, right? It's actually written down there. Well, Rabbi Shammai said, no, it's wrong to lie. You just tell her she's ugly. He wouldn't live long. But, On the other hand, Rabbi Hillel said that all brides are beautiful on their wedding day. So, white lies are okay. One example. Another one, Rabbi Hillel said about divorce. He said, The husband need not assign any reason whatever for a divorce. Just an act on his wife's part which displeased him, entitled him to give her a certificate of divorce. So, if she burnt his food that's it, piece of paper. I'm out of here. Actually, no, you out of here. Divorce. That's what he was saying. If she, if she was caught speaking to a strange man, that's it. And this was all contained in the Talmud. Another rabbi, Rabbi Akiba, 180, wrote, a husband can divorce if he finds someone prettier. Many hold to that one today. You see, These Pharisees were holding to these extra writings of theirs, their interpretations of the law, and they were forcing people to keep to these as well. They were twisting scriptures and bringing the people with them and forcing them into a heavier load than what they already had to carry. So what does Jesus say? Turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 verses 1 to 12. I want to read you. And that's why Jesus speaks about the specific topic of divorce in the middle of all this. Because he's taking one of the laws that they've twisted with all their rules and he's saying, that's not what God meant. That's why it comes up as a standalone topic here. So Mark chapter 10, verses 1 to 12. This is what Jesus says in another instance. Getting up, Jesus went from there to the region of Judea And beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Here they are. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And Jesus answered and said to them, What did Moses command you, Old Testament? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Now, was that true? Yes, it was. And Jesus is going to explain why. Moses did. Okay? But they keep on quoting Moses, even though they're in a New Testament era. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. That's why Moses gave in to the people. Because they were clamoring him for this. People were wanting to divorce their wives over and over. And so Moses said, well then write her a divorce and send her away. But what's the real heart of God? Verse six. But from the beginning of creation, we're back in Genesis now, right? But what but from the beginning of creation God made them male and female. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together? Let no man separate. In the house The disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. You see, what's Jesus saying here? He's saying God's moral law hasn't changed from the beginning. It hasn't changed at all. His heart hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. He's still... Hates divorce as much as he did right in the beginning. But it's because of your hard hearts that you are now holding on to these escape clauses. You see what he's saying? Jesus only made one exception while we are on the topic of divorce. He only made one exception in this divorce clause, and that is for unfaithfulness on the part of one of the parties. And if you want to hear that, that's Matthew. Chapter 5, verse 32. And I guess we'd say today violence is a form of unfaithfulness to that one that you're supposed to love. You see, Jesus swept the Pharisees' ridiculous interpretations aside and He underlined God's original intention for His people, namely the sanctity, the security and the permanence of the marriage bonds. And He was saying to these Pharisees, you cannot change God's law but you do. There are other places in Scripture where he says to them, you say this, but I say. And then he gives them the proper interpretation of the law. Do you see what was happening here? Now, just glance ahead to next week. They still wouldn't listen and so what does Jesus do? He tells them this next parable, the story of Lazarus. And what will happen to them if they do not listen? But we'll get to that next time. I'm not going to do that now. Let's first apply what the Lord says here. How do we press in to this kingdom? You see, the Pharisees were trying to circumvent the law by twisting it. How do we press in to the kingdom? Because that was the other part of the wordplay that Jesus used. He said, the gospel message has been proclaimed and people are pressing into it. Look at that verse he was using there. That means they were... yielding to it. I'll tell you where I get that now. He was, he was saying um, a little later and we'll get to that. Let me just find my place here. Go to God's word with vigour. Try and come into the kingdom with vigour. Now please listen to me. I'm not preaching a kingdom of works here. I'm not saying that if you try and be good, good your whole life you're going to get into heaven. You've seen our, po- our paintings on our wall in the hall by Jane. Uh, Janet, sorry, one of our local artists here. You'll notice on that painting there's a picture of a man and on the painting is written, I must try harder, I must try harder, repeated several times. And there are two paintings and they've both got this, I must try harder on it. And they are separated and you'll notice there's blood in the middle of it. I've had so many people coming in here trying to push those two paintings together as if they should be together. They can't ever be together and that's the whole point of it. It doesn't matter how hard we try. The only way into the kingdom is to yield to the gospel message. That is how we press into it. It is the only way. Yielding here is the way we press into the kingdom. We cannot force our way into the kingdom. You can never get in unless you come in through the proper way and that is through the Messiah, through the door. And so, there are a few lessons here for us as we yield to the kingdom, as we press into the kingdom of God. And the first one is this. We need to stop having divided loyalties. And I'm just summarising what we've looked at. There are to be no other gods or idols in our hearts except the one true God. We have to yield vigorously to one master alone. You see what he's saying? Yield to one master and you will yield to the kingdom. Secondly, we have to stop scoffing at God. You say, how can you say that to me? I'm not scoffing at God. Well, what does your life look like? What does my life look like in the week? Is it a disobedient life or an obedient life? Because if I'm living a disobedient life behind the scenes, then I am scoffing God. He says to me, no, rather vigorously strive after obedience. I will help you. I will send you a helper. And through my grace you will be able to stand, but yield to my way of coming into the kingdom. Yield to my strength as you try to obey me. Thirdly, we need to stop our self-justification through taking shortcuts. How do we take shortcuts? Well, are we still keeping the Ten Commandments? How about honouring... The Lord's Day, honoring the Sabbath. Do we still keep that? All kinds of things impinge on us, you see. And they, necessities, I must do these things. Are we still honoring a special day put aside for us to come together and to worship God with everything? What about the covetousness one? I'm not even going to go through all ten. Are we keeping those? Are we taking shortcuts? Are we making excuses? Are you still honouring your parents the way you should be? Teenagers? Those of us who are older and our parents are a bit older than us? Are we still honouring our parents as we should? By God's grace. But you say, times have changed. How can we still keep the Ten Commandments? Are you saying that God is not keeping up with the changes? That's one of the Arguments that came back with the same-sex marriage debate in the Baptist Union from two of the churches. But times have changed. So is God not keeping up? Self-justification. You see, we need to strive vigorously for a high view of God, a high view of God's Word, because if we don't have it, it will affect our submission to Him. It will affect our obedience to Him. And so we need to ask God for a humble heart that yields to his way, his word. Fourthly, we need to stop our gospel plus lifestyles. What do I mean by a gospel plus lifestyle? Well, sometimes we kind of portray that to be a Christian you've got to dress in a certain way, do certain things, not do certain things, and if you do this like me, then you'll be a good Christian. Well, no, God doesn't say that. That's what the Pharisees were saying. It's called the gospel plus. You might be living a certain way and people see an image, but behind the scenes, it's something different. That's also a gospel plus message and a lifestyle. And people will see through it. They will see that you are not living one life. They will see that you are living two lives at different times. You see, there's still some today that say that we are to keep to a gospel plus way of life as believers. We have to go back to Old Testament Jewish tradition. The Messianic movement pushes that quite strongly today. That was the very reason the books of Hebrews and Galatians were written, to tell people don't go back to the old ways, they are but the shadow of the new to come, that has come through Jesus Christ. Are you and I living gospel plus lives? You see, there's only one way to yield vigorously to God's kingdom and that is to come through the one door, the Messiah, to come on the one way, the way of obedience to Him. It is to live one life of obedience to Him, not a duplicitous, a a double life before Him. Alright? Living one life before the Lord. And so my question to you this morning as I end is, does your proclamation equal your lifestyle? Do what you say, does what you say you, you live, equal up to the way you live. Because people see through us. Are we hiding behind a facade of righteousness? You see, God can she- see our sham religions and God might, people might be fooled, but God is not fooled. Your sham, my sham, is an abomination to Him. I've got to leave that word ringing in our ears. But I won't end there. You see, because pressing in means yielding with vigour to His grace. It means yielding to the forgiveness only available through Jesus Christ. And if we do that, we will obey His moral law perfectly through Jesus Christ because we hold on to Him in hope. When God sees us, He sees Jesus Christ keeping his law perfectly are you part of Christ this morning are you in Christ is Christ in you then you will live a life pleasing to the Lord but as soon as your eyes go off Christ an idol will form and you will bow down to something else and you will start living the life of a Pharisee an abomination to them Lord our God, thank you for this passage which is a timely reminder that you can see our hearts and that we are to live lives which glorify you through your Spirit. There is no way of trying to keep your laws by ourselves. We can only keep them perfectly through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us because our eyes so quickly wander off our Saviour. Our hours so quickly go onto other things in this life, onto looking after ourselves. And there we go, worshipping an idol again. Lord, save us from ourselves and save us to and in Jesus Christ. May we do this in your strength alone, I pray.